If you can find a way to keep doing what you need to do and keep reaching for the version of yourself that you want to be, even when it's awful, for the rest of your life, you get to look back on 2020 and you get to remember, you know what? I thought that year was going to knock me down. I thought that was going to be the end of me, but I am still here. And when it gets hard again, you will remember how you showed up today. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of the Mind Valley podcast. And you might be listening to this in the podcast, you might be watching this on YouTube. But if you could see the video right now, you'd see that I have the remarkable Rachel Hollis with me. So Rachel, welcome to Mind Valley. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. And Rachel, for people who don't know who you are, let me give a quick introduction. So firstly, Rachel's book is currently number four on the Amazon charts. And you know, the only people ahead of her is Mariah Carey, Ted Cruz, <laughs> and then the Happy in a Hurry cookbook. Rachel's book is number four on Amazon right now. And the book is called Didn't See That Coming, Love that title. In fact, all her books have got the most incredible titles. Rachel gained her popularity. She kind of burst into the scenes in 2015 when she posted a picture of herself in a bikini with her stretch marks. And what she said was this, I have stretch marks and I wear a bikini. I have a belly that's permanently flabby from carrying three giant babies and I wear a bikini. My belly button is saggy and I wear a bikini. And that post was so natural, it was so real. It got something like 325,000 likes on Facebook, 10 million views, and it just exploded Rachel and made her sort of a pop culture icon for just celebrating being yourself. So, you know, that's just so cool. Now, Rachel went on to write a number of truly remarkable books. The first one was Girl, Wash Your Face. And then there was Girl, Stop Apologizing. She became a motivational speaker. She was all over TV. She founded a company called The Hollis Company, which is about people living their best lives. And Inc. Magazine voted her as top 30 entrepreneurs under 30. So Rachel and her company exists to arm people with the tools to make positive and lasting changes in their life. She has a podcast called the Rise Podcast. So please go check that out, Rise Podcast. Search for that on iTunes. And please open up Amazon right now and search for Didn't See That Coming. I don't have to tell you how to spell that. The book is number four, and there's a reason it's number four. It is a ridiculously good book. Go ahead and add it to your shopping cart and we are about to get started. Rachel, welcome. Oh, thank you. There's like a funny correction that I like to do because I think it's a really powerful piece of information for anybody who's a dreamer, who's <laughs> setting goals for themselves. Most people say that my first book was Girl, Wash Your Face, which came out in 2018. Girl, Wash Your Face was my sixth book. I like to tell that because I think it's really important for people to understand that there were five books that came out before that one that nobody cared about. While that post went viral in 2015, I had been working for eight years prior to that on writing, on communicating, on my blog, on social media. And so I think it's a really powerful thing to remember for whatever it is that you're pursuing in your life, 
that oftentimes it really is this entire journey. It's kind of like you're an overnight success after a lifetime of working at something. Wow. So I just always love to correct that because I think it's important for people to hear. My first book was not wildly successful. My first book, nobody cared about. I love that. Rachel, that is such an important lesson because I did not know that either. I thought you just burst onto the scene. I had no idea that you had put so much time, so much hard work, not only was it your sixth book and not your first, but that you were already on Facebook, motivating people, sharing inspiration before that one post got 10 million views. Absolutely. And I think most people that I know, a lot of times success looks like that. It looks like you're kind of chipping away at something for a very long time and then you get some great traction and then you're chipping away again and then you get some great traction. On my team, we always describe it as this idea of chopping down a tree. And I believe that any tree, no matter how big it is, can be chopped down if you strike it enough times. And so my career truly is the story of just, you know, chipping away at something until eventually you can get it to start moving in the direction you're hoping that it will. That's fantastic. And it is that quality about you that I think is why you have so many fans. I follow you on Instagram, but tell us your Instagram so the audience can follow you. It's Ms. Rachel Hollis. So MS Rachel Hollis, which is my name on most social platforms, but Instagram is my favorite. So what is this keep fucking going post about? I'm so curious. Yeah. So that was something when we went into, you know, 2020, I think like most people, we started as a company, just so excited. You know, 2020 was the golden year. 2020, we had this 2020 vision and who are we going to be? And we started the year really strong. And you have to know that the bulk of my revenue for my company comes from live events. And Mm -hmm. so we had our first live event in January and we were like, this is amazing. It's so exciting. And had our second one at the very first week of March, which I realized in retrospect, how freaking lucky we were to have that right when it was. And then Mm -hmm. we got back from Toronto and it's sort of the world kind of fell apart. And here in Austin, where I'm based, we went into quarantine as a company. And that was so scary. I mean, I know for people all over the world, that was so scary because we didn't know what was going to happen. And I was so hyper aware of this team of 60 people who were counting on this company for a paycheck and, you know, to support their families and have health insurance. And so that felt very scary to me. And my CFO and I would meet every single week, sometimes every single day and just, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to pivot? What's the plan? You know, could we do a virtual event? Like we just all sorts of ideas and no matter how hard it has been, and it has been hard, no matter how scary, no matter how unsure, we just keep fucking going. We say it to each other. We say it to our team. Maybe we'll have a neon sign made. And I think it's just a beautiful kind of call to arms of you're going to have times in your life that are hard. And this is a really important thing to touch on because right now, if you look on social media, everybody is talking about 2020. I can't wait till 2020 is over. I just wanted to be 2021 as if all of our problems are going to go away at midnight on New Year's Eve. Or let's say that magically you could wave a wand and our problems would go away at midnight on New Year's Eve. You're presupposing that this is the last hard season you're ever going to have. Like, here's where we need to shift our mindset. 2020 is not the last hard thing you will live through for the rest of your life. 
You are going to encounter loss and grief and crisis in the future. You don't know when, but that is what it is to be human. And so we have this really rare opportunity right now to teach ourselves in a difficult time period, in this time of fear and like people have lost jobs and they've lost companies and they've lost family members that they love. You have this opportunity to use this to figure out how do you personally deal with hardship? How do you handle pain? How do you keep showing up even when it's awful? How do you keep fucking going? Because I'll tell you right now that if you can do that in this year, you're untouchable forever. If you can find a way to keep doing what you need to do and keep reaching for the version of yourself that you want to be, even when it's awful, for the rest of your life, you get to look back on 2020 and you get to remember, you know what? I thought that year was going to knock me down. I thought that was going to be the end of me, but I am still here. And when it gets hard again, you will remember how you showed up today. Beautifully said. Keep fucking going. I love that. And Rachel, for those people, I just want to give your Instagram. It's M-S Rachel Hollis. It's not M-I-S-S. It's M-S Rachel Hollis. Okay, go check it out. Rachel's got 1.8 million fans. That is amazing. So how are you doing? Because I know you've gone through so much this past year. Yeah, it's been a doozy. (laughs) It's been a doozy. And I think that what is awful and beautiful is that it's been a really hard year for most people. I think that that is something, you know, really do live my life in a way that asks, how can even this hardship be for me? And I think that there is something beautiful about this commonality and this place that we find ourselves where it might be hard on all of us for different reasons, but nobody is getting out of 2020 unscathed. And there's something really amazing about that that hopefully it gives you empathy for other people. Hopefully it softens your heart. Hopefully it makes you slow down and kind of reassess what matters. And so for me, this has been a hell of a year, but I'm doing good. You recently went through a divorce. Yes. As a public figure, that happened to me as well. My wife and I had a conscious uncoupling and it was crazy what you experienced. Some people were very judgmental. They're like, oh, you're a fake guru. Real gurus never divorce. And I'm sure you had some of that as well. So Haiti here, who is watching us live, Haiti has a question. Firstly, thank you for your question. Haiti says, Rachel, I admire how fast you came back from your divorce. I feel that you're stronger and more authentic than ever. Other than writing your most recent book, what helped you bounce back from this event in such the beautiful way that you did? Thank you for the question. I think a big part of that was I gave myself the space to not be okay. I feel like I've gotten to a place where I'm good, but there were many, many months earlier this year where I was just okay. And some days I wasn't okay at all. And in the past, I would have dealt with that in really unhealthy ways. I would have pretended I was okay. I would have showed up on social and acted like, oh, we're fine. We're going to figure this all out. And I think it was important to me to be authentic. And so there were many months I could not be present on social media. I was not able to show up in that way because for me, that is a space that I'm using to try and encourage other people or maybe teach. And I just felt so weary. I didn't have anything to give. And then I slowly started to get back up. I sent out a weekly email. And so that was the first place that I started to show up again. And when I did, I really was still not okay. I wasn't joyful. I wasn't funny. I was like, guys, I'm struggling. You know, I just 
moved into a house by myself. I have no furniture. I'm sleeping on the floor. Like I was really truthful about what that felt like. And so I guess that would be my advice to anyone who's going through something difficult is don't buy into the myth that social tells us that we're supposed to have it all together and have it perfectly figured out. And, you know, I don't want to learn from a teacher who is coming off as perfect. I want to learn from someone who's real. And so that's how I try and show up. So I allowed myself the space to really feel what I was feeling, to cry a lot, to do a lot of therapy, to slow down, to be present. And also, I think there's something so essential, at least for me, in hard seasons about a willingness to hold both pain and joy simultaneously. So, you know, I was going through this loss and a conscious uncoupling is such a beautiful way to put it. But I was going through this loss of this really profound relationship in my life. And simultaneously, I have four beautiful kids who are counting on me to be mama. They're counting on me to be strong. They're counting on me to still bring joy and still make dinner and still do what I can to make this okay. And there are days when it's not okay. And there are days where we're sad. But if there are moments of levity, you know, if my eight-year-old tells a joke, if we're, you know, playing outside, I really want to embrace that. And I think that we do have the ability to hold both those feelings at the same time. I love this comment from Lena Briggs. I love how you live among us. It's like it gives us permission to just be. Absolutely. And I will say that's learned behavior for me. I did not have that skill 10 years ago. Was there a time when you felt you couldn't be yourself, that you had to show up and hide things or fake it? Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. For anyone who knows the Enneagram, I'm a three. I'm an achiever. I'm just, okay, what's the next thing? What do I have to do? How do I hustle for my worth? How do I show people that I have value? And so I spent many years feeling like I had to go, 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 go. I couldn't. When we're in that mentality, there is no presence. We can't be sort of where our feet are. We're kind of always in the future and nothing is ever enough. You know, that opportunity is ripe for anxiety and lack of self-worth. And I really had to do a ton of work to get to the place where I could kind of slow down and feel good about who I was. And I think a lot of my journey, I mean, for anybody who's been with me for a while, and let's say you started reading, even if you just started reading books of mine in 2018, I hope that you've seen an evolution in me being more me. I want to say that like, I learned to kind of present myself. And I think a lot of women do this, that we learn to present ourselves in a way that will be acceptable to others. Most of us are raised to please other people. It starts with our parents and kind of evolves from there. And so I really lived my life in a way that was like, how can I show up exactly as media or the world would prefer me to and not ruffle any feathers and not say the wrong thing. And then that leads to you feel oppressed. You feel like you're walking on eggshells, like you can't ever show up as yourself. And so I just have continued to evolve as a person. I don't think that's something that you do overnight, but I do think the freedom that comes from that. And guys, just to be real, like I've lost a ton of readers. I've lost a ton of followers on social as I lean more into being who I am. Rachel, was that people leaving you because you got divorced? That's over a three-year process. 
So that's over a three-year process of being more honest about things that a more conservative readership wouldn't want to hear, right? They wouldn't want to hear that I cuss. They wouldn't want to hear that I'm super freaking liberal. I like believe in inclusivity. I believe that everybody is welcome here. I believe everybody should have a seat at the table. I know that I will never fully understand what it is to have white privilege, but that freaking exists. All of these things that in the audience that I had kind of come up in, a lot of like moms and sort of middle America who I love, I love my community. But when I started to say things that kind of went outside the lanes that they were used to accepting, because there's a way, I'm sure you guys get this, there's a way to do celebrity and you could sort of identify the people who do this, who they just walk right down the center of the road. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm not going to do anything that upsets anybody. They never really say anything, but they can make a lot of money. And I respect you for taking on some of those views. Interestingly enough, today there was an article that came out. I screenshotted it and it was about Instagram's number one celebrity, The Rock. Okay. So this was on People Magazine. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, his follower count tops 200 million just after he went out and said, I'm endorsing Biden. Right. He didn't mention the word Trump, but he was very clear. I'm endorsing Biden. And a lot of people were like, no, you're like an American icon. You got to stay neutral. But what happened was his follower count shot up. And we are starting to see that. We're starting to see that people want their icons to not stay on the sidelines. In a study, 75% of American consumers want companies and CEOs to take a stand. Yeah, it's so funny because The Rock is one of my heroes. I absolutely love him. I don't know him and this is such a lame thing to say, but I was so proud of him for that. Because man, like I don't know if anyone has seen the comments or the things that people, he got destroyed. I mean, people were so angry. And I mean, he's fine, right? Like he's got all that tequila money. He'll be okay. But (laughs) it's a big deal. It would be hard for people to understand the implications of standing up for what you believe in. And look, like you can agree with him or disagree with him. But I think that there's something beautiful about someone who's willing to say, I will lose followers. I will lose love. I will lose money. I will lose accolades so that I can be myself. Right. So that I can be myself. And so, yeah, that was really, really cool to see. Now, a word I'm seeing come up and was a word you use, and I'm seeing people repeat that word in the comments is inclusivity, right? Inclusivity. And I think that's really it. Anybody can speak up, but I believe you know you're on the right path. You know you're aligned with higher consciousness or whatever you want to call it when it's inclusivity, when you're speaking up in a way where it includes the widest group of people. You're not speaking up just for your race or your ethnicity or your religion. You ain't speaking up for the widest group of people. And that's what I respect about you. That's what I respect about The Rock. That's what I respect about Biden. And that's what I disrespect about Trump. Mind Valley as a company has been very clear. We encourage everyone to vote Trump out respectfully. Vote Trump out because dividers do not belong in power. Today, I was in the newspapers here in Estonia speaking out against the interior minister of Estonia. And I was very blunt. The interior minister put out a statement. Estonia should be for white people. If you're black, go back. What? Not only that, but when he came into power, he won over a woman and he says, mommies, you can go home now. The Uh. men are here. So... 
I was quoted in the newspapers today in Estonia. They were interviewing me on my ed tech company. And I said, guys, I want to get political, but I need to say this. Every entrepreneur needs to be speaking out against this man because yeah. I want my country, Estonia, to move forward. He's taking us back to the 1950s. But of course, I got hit by so much racism yeah. because I'm brown in a Northern European country. Everyone else here is like blonde. So I was looking at the racist comments today. Gosh, they're so disgusting. Yeah. But you got to deal with that. But if yep. we don't speak up, who will? Right. Absolutely. And I think that anybody who has any kind of platform, and I don't just mean the two of us, but also people who are listening or watching this, you have influence in your own community, whether that's a community of you and your children, whether that's a church community, a community in your synagogue or your mosque, like you have this influence with the people around you. And I think that social media today makes us believe that we cannot be in conversation with people that we disagree with. And that is mm-hmm. not the fundamentals of being a human being. Like we are right. supposed to be able to be in relationship with people who vote differently, love differently, believe differently, all of those things. That's what inclusivity means. It means that you're willing, like you have to be able to see yourself in someone else. You have to be able to see yourself in someone else because if you don't, then it's easy to sort of be divisive. Like I am so yeah. inclusive that I even mean the people who I vehemently disagree with their politics or what they believe, but I have to also be able to go, you know what? I grew up in a very homogenous community. I grew up in a Southern community. I grew up in a Republican Christian community. There is a version of me that could be that person. So I have to be able to see myself and understand how that might occur. Because if you're not willing to see yourself in others, then they become other then they become this sort of alien thing and there's no commonality, which means that we can't have a relationship. And if we can't have a relationship, we're all screwed. Oh, this is such a beautiful conversation. Now, Ken Wilber, who is a teacher on Mind Valley, have you ever heard of Ken Wilber and Integral huh. Theory? Huh. So he's like America's most widely cited academic. So Ken Wilber wrote a book in 2016 called Trump in the Post-Truth World. And the book really wasn't bashing on Trump or anything. It was just a prediction of where human consciousness is going to go. And he said, The problem with liberals, and liberals must be aware of this, he said, firstly, Trumpism is going to bring with it, he predicted it, misogyny, racism, all of the other isms. But he said that liberals who are speaking out against Trump must be very careful of this. Classism. Classism is when you go, I want to stand up for the Muslims and the black people and the brown people and the people in Africa. But fuck those people in the Midwest, those hicks, those rednecks. He's No, those are your people too. You cannot exclude them, right? You have to expand your compassion to everyone, which means dialogue with them with understanding. And I know it can be tough sometimes. I was in a bar recently. I just met this American guy next to me and we just started talking about politics and we, he doesn't believe in global warming. He believed Trump is the greatest thing in America. We politely disagreed, but in the end, we sat down at the table together. I bought him a drink and we parted ways as friends, right? He didn't convince me. I didn't convince him. But at the end, he said, you know, you opened me up to some really interesting ways of thinking. And I said the same thing back to him because I learned about what he was going through in America. An important lesson to keep in mind, I just want to read out this quote because it's so relevant to what we are talking about. MLK said, power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, right? If you have power, you want to bring love with that power to implement the demands of justice for all. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love for all. In short, speak out, but speak out in a way where you're helping bring justice and love to 
as many people as you can. So let's go on to a couple of other questions, but thank you for that segue. It was really nice, really nice to go there because it's a conversation that's like on everyone's mind right now. One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. So Mirna Hosegi, Mirna, I hope I pronounced that name right, asks us an interesting question. Rachel, Thank you for your inspiration. How did you find your passion with so many choices? How did you know that you wanted to do this? You know, what's so funny is that I feel like I really fell into this. There is no world where I imagine that this would be my life or my job. I think it really started with something that was interesting to me, which was communication. If people ask me, what do you do? Or sort of like, what's your role? I'm like, I think that I'm a communicator. I know how to communicate in the written word. I know how to communicate during a keynote speech or on a TV show. I know how to talk to people. And so I think it began with that. I was interested in writing most specifically, and that became my medium. And what's really important for everyone to understand is that I was interested in that doesn't mean I was good at that my initial attempts to try and communicate the way I was feeling or a thought that I was having were such garbage. The written stuff was awful. The first time I gave a keynote speech, I had note cards and my hands were shaking because I was so scared. And the first time I did a TV show, like it was so bad, but I was excited about that medium. And so I just kept trying. I kept trying to get better. I got feedback from people. I kept showing up. I've spoken on thousands of stages. You know, sometimes it was like two people at a library or at a convalescent home, like literally anywhere where people would listen to me talk. I just sort of followed that interest in communicating in that way. But there was never a world where I thought I would be doing this. And it's important to understand, you know, when I started as a writer, my first books were fiction. So like getting to this place is wild. And now I can see a really beautiful line between the style of fiction writing I was doing and what would eventually become the nonfiction that I put out. But I don't know that it started as a passion, I guess I would say. It started as curiosity. It started as an interest. And then I kind of fed that flame and then it grew and grew. 
And for what it's worth, I feel like today I'm very passionate about a lot of things. I'm still passionate about this idea of how do I communicate with people and then how does it show up in different mediums? But I'm also passionate about hanging out with my kids and making beautiful dinners with my friends. I'm passionate about having a whiskey on the back porch. Like I do think that a life where you feel passionate about a lot of stuff is a beautiful life well-lived. Beautiful. Rachel, Tanya asks this, do you believe you can have intimate relationships with somebody who believes differently from you? Do we break down the barrier of sticking to our tribe? I absolutely think that you can have intimate relationships with people who think differently than you do. So I'm going to assume that you mean sort of any sort of intimacy, not just a romantic one. You know, all my family believes very differently than I do about how to vote, about including people that, and they're my family and I love them. This bunch of redneck hillbillies, like I still love them. And if I cut off communication because we have different beliefs now, then I've lost, like you said, that guy in the bar, I lost the opportunity to make them think differently or to shift the way that they're thinking. And I think there are a lot of people who are sort of afraid to wade into those conversations with their family of origin, which means that you miss the opportunity to help people grow. I think a lot of times we assume that the older members of our family are kind of like done and they're set in their ways. And really, I think at least with my family and guys, like I come from hick people, like you're talking about the hicks, like those are my people. And if I can get them to shift their perspective or how they show up or kind of like, Hey, think of how that sounds when you say that, or think of, you know, sort of flip that. That's worth me posting a hundred times on social media to millions of people who might just scroll past it in the feed. If all that came out of my life was I shifted the way that my Mima showed up that, oh my gosh, like what a freaking gift that would be. I'm so, so, so glad you stressed that because I think that's an important nuance. People are sometimes afraid to speak out. They're afraid to tread the water and be political because they're afraid that it would break the relationships with the people around them. So it's it's a delicate balance. How do you handle that balance? How do you handle being so ultra liberal on social media, but then having a conservative family? I'm very accepting of people. I'm very accepting. And I think that this is a thing, respectfully, that a lot of people who say that they are liberal get really wrong, in my opinion, is that they swing so far to one direction that it's like, oh, we accept everybody and we're including everybody except the people who don't think like we do. And that's the opposite of what you're saying you believe in. And so I really am just like, I'm accepting of everybody. I'm like, all right, I'm going to believe that someone hurt you and that's why you're acting this way today or you know people who are saying hateful things like okay something made you like this that you didn't just pop out of the womb kind of like ready to go right so I think that for me it really is a practice of being accepting of every kind of person on my show I just did a whole week on how do you have hard conversations and how do you deal with confrontation and one of the things that I would say is if you need to have those hard conversations with people is you have to think about how you can speak in a way that someone else is able to receive it. You have to think about who the audience is. Because if you're presenting something to your Mima versus your best friend versus someone on social media, you really do have to present it in such a way that they can hear it. Because if they can't hear what you're saying, you're wasting energy on both sides. So I think a lot of times people kind of 
fly off the handle. They respond to right in that moment, as opposed to taking the time to think it through, to be intentional about what is the outcome that you want here. And then pursuing that conversation with a beautiful end goal in mind, as opposed to just, you know, Hey, I'm just going to get into it because you deserve to be argued with. Beautiful. Well, now we have covered some really touchy topics, but I think that's good. But let's go on to uh, a different note. What are you most excited about in terms of 2021? Man, what am I most excited about? I am excited about, I think creativity comes on the other side of hard things. You know, I think that when we go through crisis, which we have as a global society, it can kind of make us feel stuck. It can make us kind of sit here and not really do anything with what we've gone through, or it can spark incredible revolution. It can spark massive change. It can inspire creations and businesses and art. You know, what is it like the Renaissance came on the other side of the plague? Like there are beautiful things and history shows us again and again, what sort of what the other side of it looks like. And so for the world, I'm excited about that. But for me personally, it feels like, you know, I have sort of choosing to leave my marriage. I've made a decision that for a lot of people was way outside of the brand that they believed me to be. And there's pain in that change, certainly, but there's also a freedom. Like I said, you know, the evolution I hope for all of us is that we just get to continue to move in the direction of being more ourselves. And so I'm excited to write in different categories and create stuff that feels sort of new and fun for the people in my community and hopefully a whole new community as well. What were some of the most interesting life changes you had to adapt to after you went through a divorce? I went through this 18 months ago and I'm still adapting. It's not always the easiest thing. Right. Probably the biggest thing for me is, you know, I had been with him for 18 years. I met him when I was 19 years old. So I've never even been on a date with someone else. Like this is the relationship that I had. Essentially we like grew up together. And so a lot of this right now, and as I look to the future is about like, how do I get to know myself as I am today? What does it look like to be in this life as a grown up, as an adult? That's the biggest change is just, this is all new. This is all something different. And how do we navigate this time and do it well while making sure that you know, the cornerstone of everything we do is about these four kids and how do we do a great job for them and how do we make sure that they have the support and the resources and like we are still a family, we are still in this together. What does it look like to navigate that well? And it must be so interesting because back when you were last single, the world was completely different. There was no Facebook, Instagram, there was no iPhone, there were no dating apps. Right. And I think I was a different, I was a completely different human being. Like the last time I was single, I thought that the most important thing in the entire world was that I got to a place where I wasn't single anymore. And now that is like, there could, uh, there's nothing less interesting to me than trying to find someone to be with again. I'm excited to create. I'm excited to get to know myself. I'm excited to travel someday when we're allowed to do that again. Like, I just feel like this is a beautiful opportunity to, yes, it is hard and it is painful and it came at a cost a hundred percent. But again, I'm always trying to look for the good with the bad and the good in this is like, okay, now what? What are some of your personal 
growth practices? Like how do you keep yourself running? So for me, I'm all about habits and rituals that I can do without thinking about them. So I've talked about this a ton in my writing. I dig into it a lot in Girl Stop Apologizing, which is the book before this one. But I don't like the idea of motivation because I think motivation is fleeting. Motivation tends to be existential. You're sort of in a moment, you're in an experience, it's the new year, it's a big birthday, it's a Monday morning and you're feeling motivated as opposed to having something inside of yourself where you don't need motivation to do the things you know you need to do. So I am all about creating habits in my life that help me be the person that I want to be as opposed to trying to find the hack that'll sort of motivate me today. So I'm all about habits and rituals. And then in terms of growth, I tend to focus on areas of tension. So people tend to ask like, how do I even know where to start? There's so many things. And I'll tell you guys, if you try and pursue 50 areas of growth in your life at one time, there's no way you're making traction. I really believe in focusing on one thing at a time. So when you're looking for how to grow, I look for an area of tension in my life. What's something I'm struggling with? And it could be as simple as like, man, I'm really struggling with the kids' morning routine, having a hard time getting everybody out of bed. And okay, so let me go do some research. And this is just anything in my life. This is the thing. I see a problem. I do some research. Research looks like books, YouTube, podcasts, talking to other people. And I try and gather a bunch of information about how other people have done this. So I'm going to model some behavior and kind of see, okay, did that work? Okay. I tried this person's idea. Oh, that didn't work for our family. And I create a little roadmap using the information that I found. And then I test it, start doing that thing. And I kind of tweak it and make it my own. And then I get it up and going and it's humming. And now that's not an area of tension anymore. I've also armed myself with a ton of new information and resources that can help me and maybe help my community. And then when it feels like it's time to take on something else, I look for a new area of tension and I repeat that all over again. Amazing. I love that. Absolutely love that. Now, as we come to the tail end of this, I know a lot of people watching or listening are going to be excited about jumping into one of your books. Okay. So you have three major books, Girl Wash Up. Girls stop apologizing and didn't see that coming. Could you yeah. give us a quick idea of what each book is about and what would be the first book we would read if we are new to your work? So where most people come in is Girl, Wash Your Face. So that is the book that I would say, if anyone feels like they're struggling with showing up as themselves, if they feel like they are not enough, if they suffer from imposter syndrome, if you are a mom, if you are a wife, like there's so much rich stuff in that book for you. Girl, stop apologizing. As much as these books are girl, they really are for either one. Girl, guy, whatever you're about. Girl, stop apologizing is, do you have a goal? That book is how do you achieve a goal? So many people had asked like, how did you write a book? How'd you get published? How'd you create a podcast? So that entire book is that you will stop apologizing for the potential you have, for the ambition in your heart, for the goals and dreams that you want to pursue in your life, stop apologizing for those things. And also here's a roadmap for how to achieve them. And then the most recent book that came out last week is didn't see that coming. I actually wrote this book this year inside of quarantine. I wanted to create something to help people process crisis, grief, loss, pain. So it's written about the time period that we're living inside of, and it's filled with information and tools that I've used to navigate 
really hard seasons in my life. And I've unfortunately gone through a lot of really hard crap. But that book, as much as it's written in this year, is really for any time. I wanted you to be able to pick it up five years from now if you were going through something hard. And here's some ideas. So depending on what you're going through in your life, one of those, I hope, will work for you. And if you like audiobooks, I always narrate all of my books. So if you like hearing my voice bark at you to believe in yourself, you can get it on audio as well. And on that note, we end this session. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone from the Mind Valley All Access community, thank you so much for being here. And please go ahead, check out Rachel Hollis on Instagram. It's MS Rachel Hollis. And type her name in Google to get a list of all of her books. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, you, Rachel. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.